Before we come to our prayers, we come to our reading, which is taken from Ezekiel, chapter 36, starting at verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. Armed with a hammer and a variety of objects, Tara's laptop as well, I wasn't expecting that. Um, (laughs) That's not supposed to help, Eamon. (laughs) there's only one of these objects I can hit safely the laptop clearly not the glass probably not but the, excuse the catering staff out of the kitchen I can bash the pot fairly safely anyone know why? why is the pot safe to hit with a hammer and the others aren't? any physicists here? Josh has gone out Okay, it's a matter of ductility according to the Encyclopedia Britannica Ductility is the capacity of a material to stretch or bend or spread in response to stress. Most common steels are quite ductile and can accommodate local stress concentrations. But brittle materials such as glass cannot accommodate concentrations of stress because they lack ductility and therefore fracture easily. Hence you can hit a pot with a hammer and it won't smash. Hit a glass with a hammer and because it's brittle... Yeah, it would be dangerous for people sitting in the front row. During the Second World War, the United States commissioned a class of merchant ships called Liberty Ships. They were ugly ships, designed to be built in a hurry. The average building time was 42 days. And to save time, they welded the steel plates together rather than using rivets, and they used poor quality steel. Steel which became extremely brittle in cold temperatures. And the ships were vulnerable to cracks developing in the hull. Three of them actually split apart. And this was one of them, the SS Schenectady. Launched on New Year's Eve, 1942, for a successful sea trial. Then moored at Swan Island Dock. And early in January, moored in warm water in the river on a bitterly cold night. The plummeting temperature made the steel brittle. And overnight, the ship simply split in two with a three-foot crack across the bottom of the hull. The brittle steel couldn't cope with the stress caused by the temperature and simply fractured. Brittle stuff can't cope with stress. What about the human heart? 
Our hearts, the control center of our psyches, were designed to be warm and malleable. And when our hearts become cold and brittle and hard, they fracture easily. Hard-heartedness is not a good thing. What makes people become hard-hearted? Hardening the heart can be an instinctive way of protecting yourself when something goes wrong. It's an instinctive response to stress, a way to minimise hurt and damage. Ideally, in psychological terms, blurring psychology and physics, the heart should be elastic. For for minor knocks, once the stress has passed, the heart returns to being soft and malleable again. If the stress is too great, or the heart is too sensitive, or if the person concerned has led such a sheltered life that they've never experienced any adversity, then the heart can become plastic rather than elastic, and the shape of our hearts is permanently altered by life's knocks. If the heart hardens further then it becomes brittle and inflexible. To the point, actually, where it becomes difficult to experience positive emotions, such as love or happiness. Instead, our hearts become corroded and hardened by anger and hurt and bitterness and stubbornness. And because emotional stress is dangerous, we keep other people at arm's length and shut them out as much as possible. We don't laugh with those who laugh anymore. We don't weep with those who weep. We just don't care. We don't have time for other people. We are on our guard because anybody else is perceived to be a bit of a threat and we find it extremely hard to trust anyone. And a hardened heart affects our relationship with God as well. Spiritually, we close down. We turn away. We put ourselves first. We live our lives on autopilot and we harden our hearts against God's spirit. When our hearts become hard, we find it very easy to criticise and complain. And it happens in the church as well. I was chatting to an ex-vicar last week who left the church because people wrote letters of complaint if he tried to do anything new, like introducing the peace, or moving the altar, or running a holiday club. And all that was symptoms of their hardness of heart. When our hearts are hard, we don't forgive other people. Our instinctive and quick response is to become angry, and we hold grudges against others. When our hearts are hard, we become defensive. We dig in and blame other people when things go wrong instead of acknowledging that we are at fault. And if perchance there's anybody here sitting there thinking, I hope he's not talking about me, be assured I'm not. But can I just say that one of the symptoms of a hardness of heart is a desire to avoid God speaking to us about the difficult issues because we are not receptive to having those addressed. So if you're wriggling and feeling uncomfortable, that may be a symptom of hardness of heart. And when that attitude becomes entrenched in us and in God's church, the result is that when people look at us, they don't see Jesus. They don't see anything of the fruit of the Spirit which should characterise the people of God. Our hearts can become so calloused and brittle that the Spirit can't produce the, the love and the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control that Ken prayed that we'd see in our lives and that are part of the family likeness for those who belong to Jesus. And if our hearts are hard, the way in which we respond to others does little or nothing to commend the Christian faith. And we can end up isolating ourselves, sometimes deliberately, sometimes inadvertently. We don't want to be like this, 
But the heart, which is the command centre of our lives, has become so hard there's nothing we can do about it. It's quite involuntary on our part. It's a generalising picture. Hard hearts can develop in all sorts of ways and lead to all sorts of ramifications. But however it manifests itself, a heart which becomes calloused and brittle is not a good thing because our hearts were designed to be open and malleable. And in Ezekiel 36, God addresses his hard-hearted people. The kind of people where people look to them and say, if that's what the people of God are like, I don't want anything to do with them. They were scattered among the nations. They found themselves living in a state of exile. The feelings they had were those of being lost, angry, hurting and confused. They weren't actively dragging God's name through the mud, but people looking at them couldn't help thinking, actually, I don't want to be part of what they've got. They were bringing the name of God into disrepute wherever they went, and the core of their problem was a hardness of heart. And in Ezekiel 36, God says, he's going to do something about it, because they couldn't help themselves. The Lord is going to bring his people home, doesn't matter where they've gone, doesn't matter how far from him they've strayed, doesn't matter whatever unfavourable situation it is in which they find themselves, he is going to bring them back and make them welcome. And when they arrive filthy and dishevelled, he will let them have a shower and clean off all the muck and the dirt that they've accumulated on their travels. Um, I've not travelled anywhere near as far as Tara is going to travel, But one of the longest journeys I've been on was going to Corfu by coach. And we set out from King's Cross coach station on Tuesday evening and arrived in Corfu on Saturday morning. Not having had a wash or a shower or a change of clothes all that time. To say that I was dirty was an understatement. I remember standing in the bath, watching the dirt come off my feet as the water ran in, thinking, I'm not getting into that. Getting out, get back in again, about three times, I think, before I actually thought, okay, that... That doesn't look too dirty now. The difference it made to feel clean again. And when God brings us home, he doesn't look at us and scold us and say, look at you, what a state you're in. How did you get in such a mess? It's a case of welcome back. There's a shower, change of clothes. It's good to see you. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I wash all the dirt off, he says, and all that stuff muddying your conscience, I will, I will get rid of all that as well. All those idols that you've been involved in that have contaminated your heart, I'll get you clean from those too. This is a deep cleansing and purifying that removes all the muck and filth of a sordid past and leaves us feeling clean on the inside, okay and good able to accept ourselves again. And then God says, I'm going to put a new spirit in you, and it'll be my spirit. I'll take out of you your heart of stone and give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. Let's get rid of that old heart which has become so brittle and hard and intransigent and seems to be damaged beyond repair. I will give you a new heart. I will bring my new creation to the very core of your being by my Spirit. Today is Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate the gift of God's Spirit to the church. The season of of Easter is over, and the season of the Spirit has begun. Yet it is the task of the Spirit to bring the new life of the risen Christ into our lives and into our hearts here and now. 
The past few weeks we've celebrated the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and that is fantastic. The Spirit brings the risen life of Jesus into our lives. And so the celebration continues. When our hearts are cold, empty, lifeless and dead, it is the Spirit of God who recreates us and renews us from the inside, bringing healing and hope and love and renewal and life. This is the God who can enable you to begin to feel again. This is the God who can enable you to begin to trust again. This is the God who can enable you to begin to love again. This is the God who can help you hope again. And he can change the direction of your life from being just doing your own thing because in your isolation you've become convinced that nobody else is worth bothering about to beginning to care for other people. Ezekiel talks about the Spirit enabling us to keep God's laws and follow God's decrees. Well, that starts with love. As the Spirit pours God's love into our hearts, enabling us to begin to love God back as we feel his love for us. As we begin to find peace in the knowledge of God's acceptance of us, that peace extends throughout our being. We can begin to love others as we know we ourselves are loved. If you've not read or listened to or or seen Bishop Curry's sermon at the Royal Wedding yesterday, can I unreservedly recommend that you do so? And I believe there's a link to it from our website, someone was saying. But if not, it's on the big... I was looking asking something, perhaps there isn't. But it's... It's on the Facebook page. Thank you, John. From our Facebook page, you can get to it. But also it's on the BBC website. And as we begin to discover that we are actually worth loving, we find we begin to have the capacity to love others as well. We start to connect with others in a way that perhaps we haven't done so for a very long time. I remember being absolutely astonished one day when my dad rang me to tell me he'd become a Christian. My sister had taken him to a big meeting in London, and he had beforehand somewhat scornfully said... Your sister's asked me to go to this meeting in London. She thinks I'm going to become a Christian. And he did. And it was the best thing that ever happened to him. The next time I met him, he said, I want to put a sign on my wall that simply says, talk to people. Where did that come from? From a man who had no time for anybody else for as long as I could remember. It was the Spirit of God within him giving him a new heart and turning his life inside out. And what's the key to this transformation? It is quite simply giving your heart to Jesus, inviting him in. Your heart may feel hard, broken, dirty, and unloved to you, but Jesus wants it because he's into lovingly restoring hearts that look to everybody else as if they've been damaged beyond repair. There is no heart which cannot be brought back to life, No heart which cannot be made clean. No heart which cannot be filled with his goodness. Not even yours. And faith. Faith is believing that God can do that for people and he wants to do it for you. And it's a matter of looking away from yourself, your past and everyone else around you and looking to Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm in a real mess. But here I am, if you'll have me. And he says, welcome home. This is where you belong. Take off those filthy things and get in the shower. And when you come out, I'll have a new spirit and a new heart ready for you. I'll take that hard, stony heart out of your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. 
I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to begin to love others as I have loved you. You will know that you belong to me forever and nothing's ever going to come between us again. Let's sit down and share a meal. And this is the meal he invites us to share. The meal in honour of his son Jesus. The meal that Jesus invites you to as an expression of your faith and trust in the God who says, come to me. I love you. I accept you. I can make you clean. I will make you new if you ask me to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this is the season of Pentecost, the time when we celebrate that you pour out your spirit upon your church. And thank you that you are not a God who is distant, but you are a God who wants to be right here with us and right inside our lives. Thank you that you want nothing less than a relationship of love and trust between us. And you know, Lord, some of us find it very hard to trust. Some of us find it very hard to love. And our hearts are hard and we know that we can't change them. But Lord, help us to trust you just enough to say, Lord, here's my heart. Heal it. Change it. Renew it. Fill it with your spirit. Take out of me my heart of stone and give me again a heart of flesh that's soft and open and trusting and loving. Lord, I place myself in your hands. Change me to be the person you made me to be. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.